Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, back after enjoying the Scottish sunshine. Oh yes, it does happen. In this episode, I hear from influential Norwegian musical figure Stein Skorpholm. Stein will be a familiar face to many as a host of the European Brass Band Championship. In fact, he also fronts the Norwegian Nationals, and a wide range of other musical and cultural events, so he's someone with his finger on the pulse of all things banding in Norway. Stein discusses being practically born into banding, his early musical experiences and the transformative effect of hearing Black Dyke for the first time in his youth. He also reflects on the rise and rise of the Norwegian brass band scene, picks a mouth-watering piece of the podcast and singles out a couple of his European Championship highlights. To begin though, Stein offers an insight into how Norway is charting its own path through the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, we had a um, bit of relaxation during the, the, the summer month. Uh, we opened up for 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 travel uh, to to certain countries, uh, which we call green countries currently, uh, and and then obviously the red countries you shouldn't go to. We had a bit of uh, relaxation on the strictest rules for bands uh, round and about our national day, which is seventeenth of May, so that there could be some banding done for that. Personally, I feel we're walking into a bit of a limbo where we don't really know. They might actually become more strict. To me, 1st of September is a date where I think we may know more about what the autumn and, and the winter will, will look like. Uh, but as students are coming back, as people are coming back from abroad, uh, uh, the con- contamination has gone gone back up, so uh, there are threats to to lock down the country again. Here in the UK, there's really a pause on bands rehearsing together indoors. Although we have started to see examples, firstly in England and recently in Wales, of ensembles rehearsing together outside. What does the situation look like for bands in Norway? As I understand it, I think one Norwegian band was even able to undertake a recording fairly recently. The rules, they change every now and then, so I would encourage people to look on the Federation's website for the exact uh, measurements and, and stuff. But uh, for a long time, we, we had a, a social distancing of one metre. So if you could find a large enough hall, to, to rehearse in, where you could keep the musicians a meter apart, you could actually uh, have your rehearsals. But you would have to have a, a designated area for each band member to unpack, to, to warm up, uh, and then sit down on his or her chair and, and leave his or her chair to, to the designated area uh, again. This has been done for both uh, professional orchestras and uh, bands uh, and as well as the amateur bands. So the creativity of some bands <laughs> have been put to a test. I have seen now lately that some bands are in the beginning of starting back up again after the summer holiday and they do so in smaller groups. Let's, for, for, a, for a brass band that would be the cornet section, 
does their thing separately. The, the, the baritones and euphoniums do their things separately. But um, you should be able to, to um, uh, conduct, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, a, a full band uh, rehearsal as long as you keep uh, the social distancing rules and you have a large enough. The biggest problem is really finding a big enough room to, to keep these uh, measures in, in place. And I must mention, it might have caught your eye, that uh, Rung was our latest elite section, when they, they came from first section and will be in the elite section next year. Uh, they did an online concert uh, hosted by a certain someone, um, uh, conducted by David Morton, and it was really his idea. Let's do a multi-camera real production so that we can actually bring a concert to the audience. There was no one in the hall but the band and me. It went live on, on Facebook just before uh, the summer holidays and it's still up there if people haven't caught it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic to see initiatives like that and the creativity of that entire process. And of course, it's nice just to see music making taking place again, albeit in a, a slightly different format. A lot of credit should be given to, to, to British uh, brass bands for picking up uh, media such as Zoom and, and, uh, and other platforms and actually giving us in the audience the ability to still uh, take part in, in, in banding, although in a very different setting. Although we just have not been able to make music in the way that we're accustomed to over the past few months, if the alternative is to have nothing at all, clearly that's really, really demoralising, and at least we've been able to continue some engagement. I think it will be exciting to see uh, what good things we can take from this when things go back to normal. Uh, I can perhaps have a music teacher in England teaching me in Norway in a sufficient way. It won't be the same as being there in person, but, but I can still take some of the good things that we have learned by, by, by doing this and, and bring it with us when we go back to normal. Of course, so many events which should have been due to take place this year haven't done, and one which I'm sure would have been in your diary style was the <laughs> European Brass Band Championship, with which you've been involved as host since 2015. How much did you miss that this year? I, I, I really, really missed it. The first thing I, I, I missed was the Norwegian Wind Band Nationals. That was the first thing that was cancelled, and when that was cancelled, I, I, it sort of grew on me that the Europeans won't happen it, it won't happen and uh, finally we had the the word that that it wouldn't and uh, and i think perhaps what saddens me most is for the organizer in lithuania who had put down such a huge effort and being the first time in the former eastern bloc of of, of europe i think it would have been something poignant to, to have the, the Europeans uh, there. So I hope they can come back and, and, and have it uh, on a later date. I think in 2020, we got caught off guard. We, 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 we really weren't prepared for, for the uh, significance of, of, of this 
pandemic. And as it involves people from different countries, from different cultures, you, you sort of can't just pop up in a, a solution <laughs> right there and then. But I think my my view, and I have expressed it in, <laughs> in certain fora, uh, is that we, we need to actually plan for 2021. Maybe it won't happen as we're used to. Maybe there may, needs to be a plan B. Uh, and I think uh, if we dare to talk about it now, we, we can actually plan for... Um, let me take uh, the Norwegian Nationals uh, as an example. We always have a live stream from the Norwegian Nationals. Well, maybe the bands will come to the Grig Hall play for the adjudicators and the live stream audience, and that's it. But we will get a new Norwegian champion. We will, and, and, and things will, when they go back to normal, we're sort of not starting from scratch again. When, for example, looking at the European Championships, you're very busy hosting proceedings and you're right in the thick of it. Do you get an opportunity to hear the performances? <laughs> yes, I, I, I do. Uh, I, whenever I'm the host or compare or, or whatever, I make a point of never sitting in the audience uh, because I can't necessarily always sit there. And I'm like, oh, he listened to them, but he didn't listen to them. And why was that? And people read all sort of things. So I go backstage. I can hear backstage as well. <laughs> and I can enjoy myself listening to the, to, to, to the performances backstage. Uh, of course, there's uh, a tradition, at least here in Norway, to have a pre-European concert. So I've most of the time I've heard the pieces, at least for the Norwegian band and the own choice before I come to the uh, event itself. As you look back over your involvement so far, a couple of questions on this. Firstly, which mm. event has been your favourite over the past few years? Which one has oh. just really... <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. To be um, quite frank, I think, I think we did a rather good Europeans in Bergen in 2003, <laughs> which I was involved in the organising of. Um, that was a very memorable moment for me because it all went very well, of course, as an organiser. That was, that was fantastic. I, I get asked this question every now and then, and, and I always say that the best moment on stage I've ever had was announcing Aikonga as the winner in Austin. <laughs> Which, of course, was special for a Norwegian actually getting to to say that Norwegians won. But um, Switzerland, brilliant. Organising on a, on a level you can only have, I think, in Switzerland, Norway, and a few others, perhaps. But uh, I think that's due to the uh, professionalism of the organisers. They actually have an organisation, which, of course, Kenny Crookston is building with Brassbands England, uh, the equivalent of, but I think you need to have a level of professionalism in in, in the organising of of an event of uh, such um, such uh, proportions, really. So Stein, you've mentioned that you do indeed get to hear so much <laughs> of the music making that is taking place. With that in mind, which performance really sticks in your mind? Which is at the top of the pile? 
Uh, there, there, there are there are many. I could go back to when I was a boy, uh, hearing the Black Dyke live for the first time in back in 1979. I remember Philip McCann playing uh, uh, the the post horn gallop on a on a Norwegian nevalur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I think if I had to sort of pick one, it would be Aikanga's performance of uh, Fraternity in the Europeans in Ostend. Uh, that was back in 2017. Uh, uh, they won that year. Well, that was one thing. But they did a performance of Fraternity at the Norwegian Nationals the same year, which people came out of the hall and said, this is once, once in a lifetime. This is... This is the one we, we've heard. And then we came to the Europeans and they did it all over again. It's sort of, well, yeah, that was once in a lifetime, but this was once in a lifetime too. And of course, much of that is um, uh, the MD, my good friend Inga Bagby's uh, rendition of, of, of the piece. But I think also uh, fraternity, I heard it in Lille, in Le Nouveau Cirque, which was the contest arena, excellent place. And Thierry Delariel was an absolutely fantastic person to, to, to work with. I, I like to have a chat with the composer. Have I, un have I understood what you wanted to, to relay so that you can give the audience, sort of guide them in the si same direction as the composer was thinking? And I heard this piece and I said, this piece I can actually listen to 10 times in a row and still discover new things every time. And I think it's that curiosity, which is a good thing when, when it comes to new music, that, that, that brings the movement forward. Eddie Gregson, who's a good friend of mine, has uh, composed lots of excellent music. I could easily pick one of his, his uh, works. But I think fraternity combined the the sort of traditional brass banding contest music with something, and it brought in some new elements as as well. There's a, a very clear storytelling in in the music. Uh, it challenges the band uh, on a very high level, but it's still it's it's music, and it's music in its own right. Well, I think listeners will have started to guess that we have arrived at your piece of the podcast. So Stein, leave us in suspense no longer. Please do reveal all. The piece of this podcast is Fraternity, performed by Ekang Abjasvik Musiklag under the direction of Inga Dagby.
the sound of Eikanger Björsvik Music Lad, conducted by Ingar Bergby, performing Fraternity, that music by Thierry Delriel, that a recording from the European Brass Band Championships in 2017. So that music by Thierry Delriel clearly means a lot to you, but another composer, Stein, whose music you particularly enjoy, and you mentioned his name already, is Edward Gregson. Where did that love of Gregson's music come from? Well, it started rather early. My, my father used to go to the, um, uh, the Nationals in, in England, in Royal Albert Hall, every fall, back in the 70s, <laughs> when I was a very young boy. And he brought home recordings. Uh, he bought LPs, which I've still got somewhere. Uh, but he also uh, made a point of buying sheet music. And Prelude for an Occasion, I think, was the first piece by Eddie I ever took part in playing. We used to play it with the school band, <laughs> rather good school band back in the day. I think he is one of the constant figures in, 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 in brass banding. I know he does a lot of other stuff, but, he, he, but we like to think of him as one of ours. And, and, and he writes very, very to the point and very to the band. Uh, now, of course, uh, in 2021, his newest piece will be uh, uh, the champions section uh, test piece in the Norwegian nationals. And I've had the great pleasure of uh, meeting Eddie over the years. Uh, did a television interview with him or, or a live stream interview with him for the Norwegian nationals quite a few years back. And we've kept in touch uh, ever since. He, he brings me up to date on his uh, composing and, and asks me to have a listen to, to whatever he's, he's working on. It's a great relationship, really. You're so right to say that we, we like to think of Eddie as, as one of our own and, and kind of keep him because we know he's an internationally renowned composer yeah. and someone steeped in academia as well, but uh, someone who I think has an enduring enjoyment and passion for the brass band as well, Absolutely. which is, is fantastic. And we look forward to hearing the world rejoicing when eventually contesting is able to resume and we can hear bands all over Europe performing that new piece. Stein, let's now travel back in time a little bit. How did your love for music and especially banding take shape? Was part of it from those days when you were sitting in the school band performing Eddie's music? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm one of those who's more or less born into to, to, to banding. Uh, my father conducted the, the school band that I myself joined later for 15 or so years. He was uh, an organizer of the early um, Norwegian nationals back in the 70s, 80s. I started, he, he recruited me to sell tickets back in 1982, and I've been doing something at the Norwegian nationals ever since. As some sort of job uh, has been related to the Norwegian nationals ever, ever since. And I think um, I like band music uh, before I started playing. I had to wait because you had to reach a certain age and, uh, and um, then you could start and play. And it was more or less a coincidence that I started playing the trombone because 
when I started uh, playing, you had to do uh, an introduction course for one year before you got to, to, to join the, the actual band. And there were so many of us who wanted to join up the year I joined uh, that my father turned around and said, uh, you need to play the trombone. And I said, uh, why? Because we have your mum's old one up in the attic and that's the only one available. <laughs> that's the only instrument we can get a hold of. So I played my mother's Besson Big Ben from 1954 until I was 12. So I played in the school band. I took lessons from, from, from uh, professional trombone players. I, at some point, had to make a decision. Do I want to be a professional uh, musician or do I want to do something else? I took a rather cynical <laughs> route to that one. I sat down with the map of Norway and counted the uh, number of uh, available positions as a trombone player and I said I'll do something else. <laughs> Earlier on you mentioned you recall Black Dyke coming to perform. How much of an influence did those experiences of leading bands, Black Dyke and others perhaps coming to play, how much of an influence did that have on you? One thing was that you, you went to concerts with all these famous bands that you, well, I had only heard of them. My father had heard them live and others had heard them live. And I think Tom Breivik and Michael Antrobus and, and, and the people around Munga Folkehøyskole played a very important part in bringing brass banding to Norway, really. I think Black Dyke was back in 1979. And I can remember them doing one concert in Bergen and one in Oostreia, uh, nearby vicinity, and we drove the extra miles to get to both concerts because it was so important. The major was conducting as well as Michael Antrobus, which just before he moved um, to Norway, I think. One thing was the concerts. I heard Eric Ball conduct the local Salvation Army band, for, for instance. One thing was them coming here, but they also had their recordings with them so you bought the recordings because that's where you could get a hold of them and you kept listening to to these things and you you, you sort of you shaped your role models your 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 heroes became uh, the people that you not only had heard about but the that you had actually seen life has changed and people can access music you know, much more readily, they, yeah, they can type in something online and find them. Of course, we still look to those who we hold at, at the top of the tree. Mm. And, the region, and in many cases today, those are Norwegian bands. We think of the mm. wonderful standard with the elite Norwegian bands. How pleasing is it to look and reflect and see <laughs> how the Norwegian banding scene has exploded and continued to rise <coughs> over the past few years? It's very pleasing to, to see Norwegian banding come to the very forefront. Or, or, or of the banding world. A lot of it is down to, to Norwegians and the Norwegians themselves. But the influence of certain British banding people like um, Michael Antrobus coming to live here, uh, Howard Snell and his long-time uh, relationship with Aikanga, uh, Alan Withington in, in Stavanger. Well, of course, Alan lives in Norway, but uh, Martin Winter coming here. The thing is that the symbiosis that happens when you bring 
certain brass band gurus, to call them that, from Britain into the Norwegian sort of mentality and professionalism in, in the right sense of the word, dedication and, 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 and the ability to set goals and, and go for the goals. Of course, Icon of winning the, the, the Europeans for the first time back in, what, 87, I think, in Lucerne, was a turning point. That was the first time that we actually showed the world that the Norwegian could actually do it. And then two years later, in 89, we hosted the first uh, Europeans here in, 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 in Bergen. Uh, and um, we could um, show that the professionalism of the organizing, because we've always had this uh, band federation for 100, for 100 and so years, who has built up knowledge and, and competence in, in, in organizing the stuff so that the players can be players and, and, and do that. And then us others who can't really play that well anymore can, can do the other stuff and, and, and sort of help them to become even better. I think it's exciting and it's also perhaps timely that Britain is no longer the sole centre, sole as in only centre of, of, of brass banding. It's still where the soul of the brass band is still in, in, in British banding, but uh, looking to the Swiss, the Dutch, the Belgians, uh, the Norwegians, who has come up to a level where, well, it could just as easily be a Belgian band who won the Europeans as it needs to be. A certain one from Wales or from Britain. Stein, I have to ask, you've been involved in <laughs> music events in Norway and beyond for rather a few years now. From playing, whether you were conducting or in administration, uh, you even mentioned selling tickets. Uh, many years <laughs> yeah. ago. But how did hosting and presenting first come to light? If you read most famous conductor's biography. They, they, they always started conducting by chance. Somebody got sick. And it's the same for me. Somebody got sick. <laughs> and and, they, and uh, they turned around and said, who have we got? Well, we've got this little fellow here. He can probably do it. And it evolved from there. I used to work in a record store and a record company. Uh, and I used to read the leaflets in the CDs from front to back. So, so I, I, I was used to reading because I like to give the customers an idea of what they were actually buying. And I think it's the same thing. I'm, I'm probably one of the world's most um, expensive warm-up bands, really. Because what you want to do as a presenter is warm up the audience so that what comes after you is the main event, but they might enjoy it more. I was talking about storytelling in music. If there is a very clear storytelling, I believe that the audience uh, will experience more of the music if the story is told. The story can be quite simple. Uh, Edward Elgar, when he wrote uh, Seventh Suite, uh, he had lost a lot of money on horse racing, so he needed money. That's why he wrote it, because he needed money. Well, simple enough story. That's why it's like that. The older composers like Haydn and Mozart and all these, they wrote music for occasions. Well, what's the occasion? Modern composers or, or contemporary composers write in, in 
quite similar ways. They have something to tell you that it might be hidden. It might, might be not in plain view. So the presenter's job is to, to help the audience to heighten the, uh, the experience of the music, really. So would you say then that the key thing to hosting successfully, whether it's the European Championship or a, a local town band concert, <laughs> it's just helping perhaps to provide a little bit of context or to maybe guide the audience around the corners? Yes, absolutely. As well as the more, more prosaic... Uh, <laughs> aspect of keeping time <laughs> and <laughs> making sure things happen on time but but it's a combination of, of of the of all these things really because you don't want it to drag on i tell people every now and then that well i haven't heard of anyone who's bought a ticket to come to listen to me they come to listen to what comes after me uh, so i need to make myself interesting but not the main event. And you do it so wonderfully well. <laughs> oh, thank you. As we come to the final moments of today's chat, Stein, and I'm very grateful for you chatting to me, perhaps an almost redundant question, but how are things shaping up for you over the coming months? Is it possible to have engagements in the diary or is it just too early to tell? It's a little bit early to tell, but there, there is some concerts, some uh, events starting to, to, to be planned, uh, to go ahead uh, uh, as planned. Uh, we just have to take the measures of either doing them out of doors. I hosted a, a concert with uh, one of the local wind bands in, in Togalmanningen, in the middle of Bergen Centre, just before the summer. And they chose to do it out of doors because then the audience could themselves make sure they kept the social distancing. And, and, and I, of course, as the presenter, reminded them, oh, keep your distance now and every now and then. But that is one thing. Or you have to settle for 200 or less in, in the audience and make arrangements so that that can be kept within the social uh, distancing. And I think perhaps some will pick up on the ideas of doing things uh, digitally, uh, either on Facebook Live or, or other platforms, to uh, make sure that the audience doesn't forget them. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, as you say, how musicians and artists continue to harness their creativity mm. to ensure that they can keep sharing that art in whichever form it takes with their audiences one way or the other. And we, we look forward to seeing how that develops. And hopefully, as soon as it's deemed safe to do so, we can enjoy music making in a face-to-face -face environment um, with live audiences when the time comes. Stein Scorpholm, thank you so much for chatting to me today. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you to Stein Scorpholm and thank you to you for listening. Remember, you can enjoy a digital subscription of British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at BritishBandsman.com. That's info at BritishBandsman.com. 
As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.